All right, there were a few complaints that the rainbow wasn't rainbowy enough. So more rainbow, more rainbow. Okay. First, the question. This is an important question. Must a person forsake his sins in order to come to Christ? Okay, we're going to think about this. We're not going to get the answer till the end of the sermon. Just saying. But must a person forsake his sins in order to come to Christ? Okay, let that dwell. So, what about the gays? First, as last week, we don't want to be thinking of them as a, a, a people of a different breed of humans. We were all born in sin with desires opposed to God. Like that was the theme of the, of the music we were singing. And we can only, only be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, does God really care who I sleep with? The Battlecraft Age. Love is love. I told you it would be like crazy rainbow today. Like who wants to be the anti-love people? Who wants to sign up for that? But in actuality, like, like God's love, the highest form of love, as good as even what we'd say is well-ordered romantic love between a man and a woman, does, just, just pales in comparison to the depth of love that is in God that we celebrate. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lays down his life for his friends. That the truest essence of love is not what I get. The truest essence of love is what I can give, namely everything of myself, even laying down my whole life. Such amazing that Christ laid down his life, not just for his friends, but for those who were his enemies. Dying for the people who literally killed him. All right. So... Last week we learned man cre God created man good, but we are fallen, fallen so much that our desires and our minds are corrupted, that we think wrongly about everything. We sin and we self-justify. We want things that we should not want. And now even believers do not always naturally know what is right and what is wrong. Which is why we are commanded again and again, do not be, this is Paul speaking to a church, do not be conformed to this world. Now the essence is, and this has been as old as time, is that the church is always going to be tempted to conform to the world. Which is why Paul says, do not conform to the world, but be transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be deceived by teachers, and there have been them in every age, who will come and tell you that the Bible says exactly what is popular or faddish. We need to rest and be taught by the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. 
So with that, we're going to ask, well, we're going to ask an important question. We are going to get to the original question, but this is question number two. What does God command believers about sexual activity between people of the same sex? I try to avoid the word homosexual whenever I can uh, because of the background in psychology that teaches like there's homosexual and heterosexual and these are like two different kinds of humans. I really don't like that language. I want to think about people as people created in the image of God, what they do. So I will say it occasionally, like in the next slide, but I don't like that language. Mostly because it gets really wordy to say, you know, sexual activity between people of the same sex. So, one, homosexuality is wrong because it goes against God's design of male and female. And we're going to begin with Jesus. And, and it's often asserted that Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. And that's true in a very, very limited sense. Now, he never said a word about racism or pornography, although he said lots of words that which would call those things into question. And you can learn about what Jesus thinks about the meaning, purpose, and partners of marriage very simply. Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God made the male and female. Next week is going to be entirely dedicated to thinking and talking about transgenderism. So we'll deal with that then. But God created the man and the woman to be together. Adam and Eve, and we can see this physically, and the man and the woman fitted for each other sexually, but it goes deeper than this. As Paul teaches that ultimately, like the man, and he says this in this amazing line, that, that this is a mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ in the church. And it's this beautiful picture of from the beginning, God created the man, and then from the man created a woman. And like the deepest meaning of that is that Adam, he went to sleep like death out of his very self produced the woman whom he loved in the same way Christ comes to earth and in his sleep, in his death from his very body produces the church of himself that he loves and cares for. And so in this design of complementarity, male and female, we see the gospel at work. Now, Jesus simply teaches, God made them male and female and made them for each other. Now, if that's not a clear teaching of positively what marriage is, I don't know what would be. But on the flip side, we see this creative order breaks down with sin. And the text we read, Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Our minds do not think rightly about anything if we do not think rightly about God. 
Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, specifically their bodies. God, man was created in what? In the image of God. An image has a very like physical, tangible dimension, which is why we as Christians should honor the body in every way. This is why we, we care about people's bodies and even what they do sexually. You kind of wonder, like, why does God allow this? Like, why, why God? Why give them over to the lust of their hearts? And you can hardly blame God for giving people what they want. But then again, sometimes the alcoholic needs to hit rock bottom before he goes up. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nat nature. And this text, speaking specifically of women, shows that same-sex sexual behaviors between women are wrong. Now, Paul's making this big theological point about how, how sin corrupts our nature. And when he's thinking about how it corrupts our nature, this is one of the things he points to. Is that, like, this is how backwards we get with sin. Now, some people will say uh, to these texts, and some, some believers will say this, you know, well, Paul just didn't know about, like, good same-sex relationships. Now, that's true because nothing contrary to the Word of God can ever be called good. And they would say that, you know, Paul's only talking about exploitive man-boy relationships, although, like, he's talking about women here. Like, there's, like, not that kind of thing with women usually. But the truth is, like, Paul probably knew as much about sexuality as we did because in the Roman world, there was lots of this going on. You did not have to look very far. Like, we know that Paul went to the town of Corinth. Like, there's, like, male prostitutes everywhere you look in Corinth. And as well, there are, they have knowledge of same-sex partners back then, just like we would. Uh, N.T. Wright, hardly a raging fundamentalist, uh, former bishop of Canterbury, Church of England, said, the idea that in Paul's day was a matter of exploitation of younger men by older men or whatever, of course there was plenty of that then as there is today, but it was by no means the only thing. Now, Paul, when he talks about this, has knowledge of homosexuality similar to what we might. And he goes on and says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. What's the word consumed? And consumed is like and like, this is kind of what, like what sin does. Like, like you open a door to sin in whatever area you don't think sexually or, or whatever area, like you open a door to it and you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to keep this like right here in this little box because I, I like it there. Like, like you keep it in the box, but it's like, you know, remember the old little shop of horrors, it's a little plant and they like give it just a little drop of blood, like, but it grows and it wants more. And this is what our sins do to us. We try to keep them in the little box, but they break out, and pretty soon they are consuming us. Consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so again, obviously, Paul is speaking of homosexuality as, as not just a sin, but emblematic of what sin does. Some people have questions like, in themselves a due penalty for their error. And, and I think it's like, like you can let your mind go wild. I, I don't think it's like AIDS or added divine ju judgment. It's, it's probably just like effeminacy. That's, that's what I think. 
So, God's design is for one man and one woman together. This is how he created, created it, not a spectrum of an ever-increasing array of personally tailored sexualities. Anything that goes beyond God's design of one man and one woman is sinful. Not just the sexual act, but the passions that go against God's design. It's the teaching of Jesus Christ, who says from the beginning he was created one man and one woman. Homosexuality is wrong because of God's design for male and female. I mean, now he said, check the word. Mark 10, 6 and 9, Romans 1, 24, 27. We're going to add more text to that before we are done. Second, homosexuality is wrong because of God's design for sexual union. Okay, this is kind of the same point as the first. But just like you need two people for a marriage, you need three points for a sermon. So I'm going to pretend like this is a different point. Jesus said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does it mean for the two to become one flesh? Three things. Covenantal union, sexual union, and literally a child. So Tim Keller, and I I like this. I like this definition. and, And man, if everyone just had this drilled in, if this was like, you know, we teach sex education, like this is like number one point. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to say reciprocally to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must not use sex to say anything less. So God has protected sex within the covenantal bond of marriage. Not because sex is dirty, or, or wrong because it's so great and important. Sexual union is the real seal of the marriage contract. Every time a husband and wife enjoy sexual intimacy, they renew their covenant with each other, giving themselves to one another completely, permanently, and exclusively. The misuse of sex negatively impacts our marriage covenant and, and the way that we're supposed to be bound together. Inside the covenantal function, like it's not just this like physical thing. We don't want to think just in physical terms, buddy. A spiritual union between two people, what God has joined together. And God joins things together, not just physically, but spiritually united as one. And two becoming one flesh. It, it, It points to the sexual act, but even more than that. As two become one flesh, literally, if you think of a husband and a wife, what is one flesh of the two? And like most literally, it's a child. Think of like Havila or Zaris, like like they're literally like, like, I just cost myself $10. But they, but they are, they are, it was worth it for this. They, they are. Kari and I together as one flesh. And that they, they stand as kind of an icon of our marriage together. Now, the fact that age or infirmity sometimes prevent a godly, godly marriage from producing a child in the one flesh covenant is a, is a sad reality. But it doesn't take away from the purpose that God created sex for. But shows the brokenness in a world stricken by sin. One of the deepest blessings of God's people was 
the blessing of children. You will bear fruit. Now, so-called homosexual marriage cuts against the grain of nature. And in doing so, it's not blessed by God. It's opposed to his law because two men can never be one flesh. First, because it's a covenant in opposition to God's law. But much more, they can't be one flesh in the way that God intended. And there's, there's one thing that makes me like squeamish on the topic. Like I, like I, can, I, can, I can get around. Like, like live and let live. I'm, I'm fine with like people, you know, people want to live in opposition to God. God lets them do that. I can do that. I am not out there with placards putting signs up anything. Like doesn't bother me at all. I don't have, I don't have a bone to pick. I had a... Uh, but this isn't going to be public. So, so, so I had a roommate in college who was like flamingly bisexual, like, like, yeah. And like, he was, I got along fun with him. He was a fine guy. He's just like weird company. But like when I see a baby announcement for like two lesbians and they have a baby together. Now I think like they can't have a baby together. Like the male part comes from somewhere. And, and there are many kids today that are raised with biological fathers, and that's, that's, that's a sad thing. It's a tragedy. But if you, like, sit down and you're, like, planning, I am going to have a child without its father, like, you're planning to do that, uh, it's a terrible thing. Like, God have mercy on us. Or two gay men who hire a surrogate to carry a baby that will be born of a woman but not raised by a woman. Now, same-sex relationships can show love, affection, and care. Like, like, I believe that, but they can't be one flesh as God intended. And they shall become one flesh. So homosexuality is wrong because it goes against God's design for sexual union. Check Matthew 19, 5. Finally, homosexuality is wrong because it violates God's law. So... We're talking about moral issues, and we think about, you know, what's right or wrong. We start, what's Jesus' command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how we think about those concretely comes to us in the Ten Commandments. Now, the command that, that reigns our sexual desires is, thou shalt not commit adultery, which in the most limited sense, means that like you're not going to cheat on your wife. But if you read the Bible, it means way more than that. It means that it means that that sexual intimacy is only for the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And we see that as Jesus points to when speaking about divorce from the beginning. God made them male and female, and the two become one flesh. Now we spoke about. The design and creation, we already hit Genesis 1 and 2. But you don't have to go far in the Bible before you start running into homosexuality. Like, it's not, it's not common, but it's there. We run into Genesis 19. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called the lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And know there is a euphemism for gang rape. As you go through the Bible, you find men lying with men condemned in the strongest of terms. 
If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And I go here for two reasons. One is to set the precedent from God's law. And the second is to explain, like, why we're not advocating stoning homosexuals. And when we read the Old Testament, there's one simple rule. It's not hard. Read the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament we read in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so as Jesus taught us, Jesus taught us his kingdom is not of this world. So we're not trying to set up a theocracy to go back to the old, old Mosaic covenant. But, but the moral, the moral force continues in such a way as we read it in the New Testament. Now we're not left without any knowledge. We have this thing in the Old Testament. We look in the New Testament and see, you know, what's confirmed and we follow that same pattern for everything we read. Now, when we turn to the New Testament, we find similar things. Just before you get to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you find this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. They said, do not be deceived. And by the way, there are people out there trying to deceive, which is why it says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so what happened to men who lie with men in the Old Testament? Remember? Stone. Okay, the situation is even worse in the New Testament. Because here, it's not just like stoned, you're dead, and that's, that's it. It's that you do not receive the kingdom of God. You do not enter into God's kingdom, but left outside where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we don't condemn, but we do warn. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're, we, we believe that we're saved by the grace of God alone. Now, that grace is, is followed by righteousness. But the real kind of faith, the real spiritual awakening is always producing the kinds of fruit that we see here. Now, some of these things almost seem pedantic. And he said, greedy. And you could say it in strong terms, the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Greed is a highway to hell, regardless if they identify as Christians. Now, I don't think this means that, you know, you're greedy once. Who's been greedy once? Yeah, I've eaten all the cake. Other people have eaten all of my birthday cake. I really wanted the rest of that. Or maybe even occasionally. But if your life is defined by unrepentant greed, the kingdom of heaven is not yours. And it's the same for people who practice homosexuality. Now, if you are here today and you rolled out of bed from your gay partner, like, I'm glad you're here. I really am. Okay, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you haven't left yet, really. Um, and I pray that you feel welcome and accepted as a beautiful person created in the image of God, beloved. 
of the Father. And if you have not turned to Jesus Christ, I pray that you would, because Jesus died for people, the greedy, the homosexual, the liars, all of them. And if you're committed to follow Jesus Christ, we will walk beside you as long as it takes to follow him in, in, him in holiness. If you are committed to walk, we'll walk beside you as long as it takes. No matter how many times you fall down. We can't say it's easy. Jesus said, deny yourself, bear your cross. The way is narrow that leads to salvation. And we do need to let go of any sexuality that is opposed to God. But God is patient and so shall we. But we need to remember the warning. If you are defined by a sin against God, heaven is not your home. Okay, at this point, you might as well say, well, all that we have done is looked at Genesis, ex Exodus. Oh, we didn't look at Exodus, but we could have. Leviticus, Jesus stating marriage between one man and one woman. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6. But I feel like an infomercial guy. Wait, there is more. 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 11. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. Now, this is really true. The law is not laid down for the just. Because the law is not going to condemn those who have the righteousness in Jesus Christ. But, for those who ignore it, for the lawless and disobedience, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, those, those bad people, for murderers, like puts it, like people who hit their parents and murderers right next to each other. Kids, respect your parents, be warned. Adults, respect your parents too. The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, liars. Oh my goodness, that seems like a pretty small one in there. Be warned. Perjurers, liars, right there. It's like so it said. So if you ever wonder, like, like you're looking out, like, like we're not like looking down at people. It'd be like, oh yeah, I was like, oh, it's that baby. It's like, do I look fat in this? But there's a reason why we come here. We pray in the pastoral prayer, Lord, like, forgive me of my sin. I confess my darkness. Because we aren't out here. We aren't looking down at anybody here. But we realize that we are all condemned apart from Jesus Christ. And only by his spirit and work can I have any goodness. Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Take note, all of us need the grace of Jesus Christ for everything. Homosexuality is wrong because it violates God's law. Check the word, Leviticus 20, 13, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 11. Now, the law isn't always convenient. I remember once I was... I had been driving back and forth to this conference. It was about an hour and a half away. The last night I'm driving home and I'm just annoyed at the fact that I have to drive so far. And so because I'm annoyed, I decided to set my cruise as any normal person would at 130 kilometers an hour. Yeah. <laughs> now on this empty road, all of a sudden, red lights flashing and I'm just like, crap. <laughs> I am like guilty, guilty as sin here. 
Now, I was so annoyed. I was like, oh, this is just the worst. I was like mad at the cop. It's like, it does no good. The law is the law. And the same way, like you can like look at God's law here and be like, God, like God, that's not right. That's not fair. But if you like look at, if you look at the Bible and you think, man, the Bible just supports everything that I feel, like you're probably reading the Bible wrong. If you never run across someone and be like, man, that really makes me uncomfortable, you're probably not looking closely enough. Because God's law is God's, it's not ours, it's different. And we need to listen to it whether we like the ticket or not. So the end of the matter is this. One, homosexuality is against God's design and cannot be a one flesh union which we see in creation, which is blessed and reminded by Jesus and shown again by Paul. Two, homosexuality is same-sex sexual relations are contrary to God's law. It breaks God's command about adultery, which teaches that lawful sexual union is only between a man and his wife. And we are reminded it is listed as a dangerous sin. And people who are defined by this sin, along with like lying and some other things that we maybe don't talk about enough, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what? So, the first thing is, like, this sermon is not aimed at those people. Like, if you got, like, a link shared to this, and you're gay, and you're just, like, mad about what the Bible says, like, like this sermon, like, this is not for you. Like, this is for Christians teaching how to live so that we, do not, we are not conformed to the world, but conformed to the word of God. Like, that's the purpose of this sermon. Now, we don't need, first of all, to like pound people with a stick for their sin. Like that's not the purpose here. Like why do you think, like why do you think that people need a whole month to celebrate their identity? Like a whole month. Like why do you think like they need to like teach kindergartners that Heather has two mommies? Like, 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 like. What kind of person needs that much affirmation that they are totally good and right? Someone who feels a little bit of conviction on the inside. Like, that, 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 that's what it is. Like, somebody who feels like they are not living according to what is right. And so, so we need to be careful. They're like, we're not just, like, pounding people. They run away because they already feel that. And what we need to do. So, first question I asked was... Must a person forsake his sins in order to come to Christ? What do you think? Some people say no, some people say yes. Okay, I'm going to tell you the right answer and then I'm going to explain why. The answer is no. No. It's the orthodox. It's no. And the reason why it's no is that what power... What power could we possibly have to forsake our sins if not for Christ? Like you need to know that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. It's the, it's the adulterers and the liars who throw themselves on the mercy. I've got nothing, no hope. And there in Christ can hope begin. John Newton says this, it's so great. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And so my invitation, like, don't, don't wait until you're better. Like, don't just, don't just sit around and be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until, like, like, I've gotten this sin over. No, come to Christ now. 
Like he stands there for all, for the liars, the prostitutes, the gays, all of them welcome to come to his feet. And then, and then at his feet, day by day, just like it happened with us, as you learn and grow, you need to forsake sin to be saved in Christ. And we learn that day by day in the church as we fight sin, as we repent, as we fall down and get back up again. And so we invite all, come, come however you are, but we have the hope that where you are is not where you will be in Christ. For it is true, the liar, adulterer will not inherit the kingdom of God, but God who began this work as you come to him will bring it to completion, no matter how hard. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, I pray that we would see you as you are. That we would not wait, but we would come to you however we are, to see you as good, for you welcome all. And in you, I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling, that we would walk the narrow road of discipleship to, until we receive the holiness without which we will not see the Lord. So lead us, God, may we be the people who hold on to truth so tightly and welcome so voraciously that we are like you, Jesus Christ, holding both the justice and mercy of God in our persons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.